0: Before this episode of the Funnel Word podcast, a quick thank you to the Funnel Word sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing. Do me a favor. Before this episode begins, before the fabulous Final Word theme thanks to Earthboy, head to Sidewinder Life on Instagram. That's Sidewinder Life. It's the latest from Brick Lane Brewing. Sidewinder Hazy Pale Ale. Super tasty and Brick Lane's first low alcohol beer. Get this, the IWSR. What is the IWSR, you ask? Well, I didn't know either, so I Googled them. They provide stats for the drinks market. They're the beverage industry scorekeeper. Anyway, their research found that 65% of Australians, 65% of legal drinking age Australians, are looking for a low or no alcohol option in 2021. Find it at Dan Murphy's in Australia. Tell them the final word sent you. The folks at Dan Murphy's won't really know what that means, unless, of course, they listen to this podcast, but Brick Lane will and that's all that matters. Also, keep your eyes open for new Brick Lane Final Word artwork. The team at Brick Lane has taken the classic Final Word image and given it a Brick Lane makeover. You're going to love it. Remember, you can find everything Final Word related at FinalWordCricket.com. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the Final Word, and thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemmon, and The Final Word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And
1: some I can tell you.
2: Well, this is The Final Word. Story time with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It's not happening during a test match, so that means we can do the full scope of the show. We can get back to some uh, numbers we may not have got right in previous weeks. We can look at new numbers as well. We will use those numbers as a vehicle to drive you through the motorways of cricket history. I haven't thought this metaphor through, but something like that. Maybe off the motorways, maybe into the, the byways. The, the back lanes, the meandering little country roads with a stone wall along one side and when someone else drives along coming the other way, one of you has to reverse for six miles because there's nowhere to pull over. That's where we're going to go today uh, <laughs> on Story Time because that's what we do. Hello, Adam.
1: Nicely set up, Jeff. Uh, yes, um, I'm rocking back. Often I record the podcast... Positioned forward as you would know if you watch the mm-hmm. YouTube clips, but we're not filming this, so I'm I'm lounging back. Uh, I'm planning okay yeah. to take that kind of attitude to this podcast, nice and easy. And yep. we got a few messages last week saying short edition of Story Time that it wasn't quite long enough for their Saturday morning walks, for example. So mm-hmm. um, I expect this will be. We've got some revisits later on, quite a few new numbers, and yes, looking forward to stretching out a wee bit.
2: Well, people have been able to tell us about that on the Discord page. Discord is like a, an old fashioned chat room but brought into the modern era where anyone who's on the final word patron account can jump in the discord and uh, have a chat to each other and to us it's it's been really nice Uh, we drop in there and people are talking away amongst themselves it's like when when you have a party and you're you're a little bit anxious about whether your friends from different friendship groups will get along and then you find out that they do and you go (laughs) oh this is good I can now pop down uh to to the shops and get something without worrying
1: about it it's the perfect comparison I felt that way a little bit I'm like when we started the discord as keen as I was for it I'm like maybe we will have to not moderate the conversation but kind of engage with every topic but we don't because everyone's quite happy and content over there about mm-hmm. 150 people and we're yeah as I said I think on the weekly show it's an egalitarian structure we are but two members uh, nothing special mm-hmm. about apart from formally being the moderators which we're I don't expect we'll ever need to use those moderating powers Mm -hmm. because people are fairly civilized on there. People just crack on and and talk about the game and various other bits and pieces, organising meetups and talking about, you know, when we go to the Olympics in 2028 and uh, what else, Uh, talking Mm -hmm. about television shows and music they're engaging with and and all the rest so happy just to be part of that conversation and and, uh, and contributing when we can.
2: The only moderating I've done is setting up different conversational threads for people, different channels uh, topic channels when they ask for them because being something of a control freak I, I decided we should reserve that power for ourselves so we didn't end up with like 900 channels, um, in a very short space of time. So basically people just say, can you make a channel where we can talk about Bannerman? And I say, yes, I can. And I say, can you make a channel where we can talk about whose birthday it is so they can get a message from Sachin? And I say, yes, I can. Um, that's that's how it works. It's a very permissive structure. Yet another reason why I uh, should not and will not have children
1: because they'd be like,
2: yeah, whatever do what you want. Yeah, and sure. The, <laughs>
1: And yet another reason why you should join Patreon as well, which is kind of what this is all about with Nerd Pledge, but mm. that's the ticket to the Discord page. Once you, Well, Discord channel rather. Once you're a patron, you get the link or you, you get added to your patron page, the ability to join Discord and, and away we go.
2: Yeah, and maybe maybe you get a, a slab of brick lane as well into the bargain. Who knows? The, the rewards mm. are endless. They're not endless. There's like a limited, there's like probably three things, but they're good things. Uh, the vaccine game,
1: is this happening? Uh, your Yep. Yep, it, it's gathering pace. I was at Felix's book launch last night over at Rough Trade East in in Brick Lane or on Brick Lane, uh, and there were a number of Oval Dream brick Boys lane. there, including the Brick Lane. Absolutely, Brick Lane Brewing. I nearly call them the Brick Lane Brewing Corporation, not the Brick Lane <laughs> Brewing Corporate. Brick Lane Brewing Community. This is the, the the Brick Lane in London, though not not yep. uh, not the Brick Lane they're referring to in Melbourne. Not anyway. the one in Dandenong. No, that's right. So, no, but I think there's a consensus we've arrived at that it will be the 17th of September. It will be somewhere in the southeast of London. After we finish recording today, I'm going to make a couple of phone calls and try and sort out where we're doing it. And then we'll crack on. How we uh, reduce this to 22 players, so 11 for the Dream Boys and 11 Mm -hmm. for us, that I haven't quite worked out yet. But talking to someone last night, well, we can supply scorers – and umpires and cocktail mm-hmm. makers and mm-hmm. the live stream we, we've talked through a little bit that shouldn't be too difficult to achieve so we might have commentators yep. and camera operators and there'll be loads of roles on the day and then we'll have a couple of beers afterwards and it'll be lovely
2: have you considered doing a sort of south africa style three three-way cricket three-team cricket can in, you make well, that
1: happen i suppose we could the only challenge there might be that on a friday afternoon in, in mid to late september we won't quite be blessed with the light that we might have been in June, July. Mm-hmm. So if we start at half 4 we'll probably only have enough time for a T20. Um, Bring a pink ball down. You're the yeah.
2: pioneer of this. Bring a pink yeah. ball we, down. We would need floodlights. Pop the floods to, on. To, <laughs> yeah,
1: the floodlights if they exist. I doubt floodlights exist at the types of grounds we're talking about in our conversations. But, you know, it, it's all part of it. We'll see where we land. But, yes, uh, pencil into your diary. Uh, we've got to find a process though, Jeff. The, the one issue we might have, and that'll come down to um, a bit of captain's call stuff, we're going to have to work out who is playing? Uh, I had mm-hmm. a, a lovely young man called Tom come up to me last night and insist that he would play as a member of the AstraZeneca quota. I'm like that's fine, mm-hmm. you can play. The issue being, I've said yes to everybody who wants to play so far, yep. and that is more than eleven people. I assure yep. you. So we yep. have some we have some uh, some stuff to work through. Maybe we'll ballot it or something like that. But everybody will be welcome.
2: Thus, for the first time, you uh, understand the pain of a cricket selector. You've you've got more <laughs> than eleven good candidates, and you've got to like maybe maybe certain people can be the. Same same player for the purposes of the exercise. Like three different people can share one player's name and like one of them can bat for that player and one of them can bowl for that player, that sort of thing.
1: That's you what know. they should have done. At- yeah, that's what they should have done with Clem Hill. That would have given him mm. incentive enough to not, to not throw Selector McAllister out the window Yeah, or attempt to.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> as Hoops amongst us has not wanted to throw us Chairman of Selectors out a window at, at one point in our lives. So everybody will be there. Will Winnie be there? Will she be able to meet her adoring fans?
1: Not only will she be there, she will be there in a walking capacity. I know I flagged this oh, a couple hello. of weeks ago, but it has happened. And it's kind of related, I suppose, oh. to the game where we've been Well, discussing. she must
2: be an English baby because Australians don't walk, mate.
1: <laughs> yes, Australians don't fucking walk. Umpire's got a job to do. Yeah, uh, yeah Winnie walked. And, and not only did she walk, she... She made a a real statement. She decided to walk for the first time. Her first... Unassisted step, I think they call it in the jargon, mm-hmm. at Phil's wedding <laughs> the other day uh, that we were doing our thing from between the formalities and the reception, we were having a couple of beers, and it was Felix who inspired it as well. <laughs> she, there's, I put up some photos on Instagram and, and Facebook before, but you can very clearly see her left foot mm-hmm. in one frame, uh, and then in the next, and she's taken the one step. And Felix's reaction is, is priceless, with mouth agape and couldn't believe what he was seeing. And yeah, it was it was very special actually. So well, yeah, she can now <laughs> lift herself up on her own without any assistance a bit like a clean and jerk movement for a weightlifter like she starts bent over and you don't know whether she's going to quite get the bar above her head but now Mm -hmm. she can consistently do that yeah and you know isn't galloping or anything but she can take at least one step so by september 17 more than a month Mm -hmm. from now i reckon she'll be very much up and about so yes she will be there in dulwich i I assure you
2: okay she may be able to get uh, through the twenty-two yards, maybe you know, speed between the wickets might be a problem, but <laughs> she it might has be my runner to, to get down the other end. Um, all right, let's all get right. into the thing that we do. Let's start off with a game that we like to call Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's a reverse quiz. It's a game that we play with people on our Patreon page, this miraculous setup where we make a show twice a week and they're the reason we're able to make it. They make it possible by sending us contributions and the contributions are financial in nature and they're an amount of currency that helps fund the show but they're not a normal amount of currency. They're an amount with a very specific numerical value, a numerical value that to the person who sends it means something about cricket but we have to work out what that meaning is, e.g., The first of them, Jeremy Burke, first cab off the rank, always a keen pledger, Jay Burke, with the number $5.88. 588 means something about cricket.
1: And there's always a clue uh, when Jay Burke is involved as well. Uh, It Mm -hmm. reads as follows this time. This player may have just appeared in your lifetimes, gentleman. And while he had a test career, it's more appropriate to say that he only had about one sixtieth of a test career, thanks to those being captained by his opposition namesake, not showing much mercy. So uh, Jeremy has, has sent through cryptic mm-hmm. clues before. This is broadly in that theme. Thus, mm-hmm. uh, it's one for you to take, Jeff, because I would have had no idea.
2: Okay. So a player who played against a team whose captain had the same name. I didn't don't know if this was first name or last name or some mix of the two. And who ended up having 160th of a test career. So... And the fact that he said may have just appeared in our lifetimes, I'm taking that to mean that Jeremy's guessing sort of eighties. This is, this is probably a maybe the first half of the eighties. It could even be the the very late seventies if Jeremy were overestimating our our ages. Somewhere in there, there's a player who came up against a captain with the same name. So I was trying to work this out in terms of Australian players um, and who who was captain in the era. Derek Murray captained the West Indies for one test, and Murray Bennett played for Australia, but they didn't play against each other. Bob Willis and Bob Massey never played against each other. John Wright captained New Zealand, but he never played against Kevin Wright of Australia or John Maguire of Australia. Incidentally, Adam, you, you might be interested in this. John Maguire in 1983 was the last John to play for a test for Australia until John Hastings in 2012. They didn't have a John for 30 years
1: is extraordinary. And that would have been, without doubt, the most common name in Australia yeah. through that stretch. I'm sure it would Absolutely. have been.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It always is. It probably still is. I mean, John's left, right, and centre, and even more so if you count the Jonathans and mm. so on. Mm. No Johns. Not a, not a John in that 29 years. Jeff Howarth, captain New Zealand, but never played Jeff Dimmock, who uh, played for Australia. Jeff Dimmock, Jeff Lawson, Jeff Marshall had decent careers. They're the G Jeffs. If we go to the J Jeffs, Jeff Crowe, New Zealand captain, never played Jeff Moss. Who only played one test. And I thought maybe Jeff Moss might be my guy because 160th of a career means it's probably only one test that this player played. He played it against Pakistan in 79. He did make 60 runs in that match. So that right. 160th of a test career, I thought across two innings, in one test, he made his 60th run, 160th. And he averaged sixty, obviously, because he only played one Test. But they won that. Australia won that Test, so it wasn't anything to do with a team not showing mercy. And the only way I could try to link this to Jeff Crow was that Pakistan were captained by javed Me and Dad, and Jeff Crow played New Zealand first-class cricket. As did his father, Dave Crow. So Me and Dad played first-class <laughs>
1: cricket in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> Very twelfth man areas from you there, Jeff.
2: Yeah. But at this point, I thought, okay, I've got to widen my scope. It's not going to be an Australian player because nothing adds up. And I was the main captain of the era. I'm thinking Clive Lloyd is the you know, he's, he's the quintessential captain of the era. I thought, is there any link with David Lloyd? But they never played against each other. But Clive Lloyd did play a test against a guy called Andy Lloyd, who played for Warwickshire, okay. who I don't know if you would have come across Andy Lloyd in your England travels, but he was a tall left-hand opener. In 1984, he played three ODIs against the West Indies, did okay, made a couple of 30s and 40s, and got picked to open in the first test of that series at his home ground at Edgbaston. And he's up against Joel Garner, Malcolm Marshall, Michael Holding, and L. Dean Baptiste. Oh, such good names that come out of the Caribbean. And he's out there batting, and England lose a couple of wickets quickly, but Andy Lloyd's going along okay. He's 10 not out, half an hour in, and then smack, he gets... Hit in the temple by Malcolm Marshall in the right temple, realises he can't see properly when he gets up, retires hurt on the spot, his uh, sight in his right eye was permanently damaged and he never played for England. Again, he couldn't see the ball properly. He, he did see it well enough to come back and play county cricket and so he was a mm. he became a significant figure at Warwickshire because he ended up captaining that side, played until 1992, played for for them across most of his 312 first-class games and became an administrator there through the 90s when they were bringing in Brian Lara in the 500 year and all the rest of it. Andy Lloyd was a a prominent figure there. But he's test-wise still remembered for this one brief innings because he didn't bat in the second innings. He was um, too injured to do so. So he likes to trade on the fact that he's the only opener in test cricket who was never dismissed across his entire career because he got taken out half an hour in. And having made 10 runs from 17 balls faced in that innings, that is a career strike rate of 58.8588 was the number from
1: Jeremy Burke. Your number is Andy Lloyd. Outstanding. Well done. I should say, well done, Jeremy Burke, for um, linking nicely through to another podcast podcast. that's been made at the moment by Brian Murgatroyd, friend and uh, I was going to say colleague of ours, but he's usually been on the media manager side in the time that you and I have been working in the show, I suppose. He's been a, a broadcaster at different points in that stretch as well. But mm. most of the time, Merger's, um acts as either the Australian or more recently the English uh, team media manager. Of course, he had that job at the ICC as well um, some years ago. He's released a podcast called... One Test Wonders. One Test Wonders. That's it, One Test Wonders, where he's going to talk to every... England player who's alive who played one Test match, and as we know from mm. our Story Time program, there are a lot of those. There are lots. Um, so, so <laughs> the, if there's not already, there will be an Andy yeah. Lloyd
2: episode at some stage. And I mean, Murgus, all I would like Brian and Murgatroyd to do beyond that is try to talk to the dead ones as well. If you can summon them, you know, there would be some interesting <laughs> tales to be told, I imagine. So that's the five eight eight for Jeremy Burke. I'm very confident with that, and I've never been confident that I've solved a Jay Burke one first go, um, but I'm pr- feeling pretty pretty pleased. With that one.
1: Yeah, I think that's a miracle. I actually, I thought when I saw that clue and when we first started going through it together yesterday, I thought there's no way we're getting this right. This is going to the audience and they will have a crack Mm -hmm. and maybe we get it on week two or week three and Jeremy will send something even more obscure next time and and so the pattern will continue. But the fact that you've gotten there (laughs) so so ruthlessly is a lovely Mm. way for us to start the show. May we continue the way we started. Mm. Uh, May the road rise to meet you, as
2: they say in Ireland. The only thing I don't know is exactly what 160th of a test career refers to because is it about... Batting for half an hour. Well, what's what's sixty times half an hour? That's thirty hours. Is thirty hours a test career? Is sixty right. tests a test career? I, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure. Is it? Did he only play one sixtieth of the test match?
1: Is that like how many hours? Yeah, are like okay, 40, so half an hour. Oh, a test match is thirty hours, isn't it? No, hang on, that can't be right. A test no, it's match is more like forty. No, six well, times six, five. Six times five is thirty. Uh, yeah, so a test match okay. is is thirty hours. If, so Not 30. counting
2: the breaks, and if there's no extra time, it would be, yeah, 160th of a 160th test, of the test
1: match. match. There you go. Okay.
2: There it is. All all right. Right. We worked it, it out. solved it all. Absolutely. Beautiful. I love it when things come together like this. Our second number of the day comes in from VJ. It is 207 in euros. Ooh la, la. 207 euro cents. And so, as you can tell in NerdPledge, this could mean 20.7. It could mean 2.07. It could mean 207 million. It's 2.07, and the clue from VJ says, the game was not about winning or losing anymore, but was a story of courage over skill. What have you got, Adam?
1: Okay, VJ. Well, first of all, I went through all the 2.07s in in Test cricket, and invariably they've been in a winning side, which stands to reason. If you make a Mm double-tum, more often than not, your your team's won. So NASA's 2.07 at Edgbaston in 1997, which we talked to him about in great depth last year. Uh, Ponting's 207 against Pakistan at Sydney in early 05, which, of course, was Watto's debut. Even Mike Gatting uh, at Chennai in 1985 on that tour. England won that test match by by nine wickets. I went back and had a look at Keith Stackpole's 207 that we've discussed before on the show to start the 1970-71 Ashes when he should have been run out for 20 or something like that, and there was a photograph on, mm-hmm. on the, in the paper the next day, but he, he got away with it. It was a heavy-scoring draw. Uh, Marvin Atapadu made 207 against Pakistan at Kandy in 2000 in a rain-destroyed mm-hmm. draw. It was the only innings of the match. I kind of thought maybe I could stretch it to that, but it doesn't quite tick the box. But yeah. what we're really looking for is a fourth innings, aren't we? It would stand to reason. Courage over skill. We're looking for something that's happened deep yeah. into a test match. So Someone who's been beaten up by fast bowlers is yeah. what I was thinking with this. Yeah, me, me too, me too. So Hanuma Vihari obviously tore his hamstring at Sydney this year. And I thought, Mm -hmm. look, let's let's start there. Let's see what we can find out about that innings. And he was out there for, unfortunately, 237 minutes. But I thought, hang Mm -hmm. on, when did he tear his hamstring? He tore his hamstring after facing... It depends how you read the commentary, but in about Mm -hmm. his... It, it's very difficult to interpret when exactly it happened from what I looked at, but yep. I think it's within the realms of possibility that he tore his hamstring half an hour into his innings, hard to measure without having access to a full replay, but you know that's a bit of a stretch, but that could be it. Alternatively, because of course, Fahari batted for you know uh, all those hours to to save that test match alongside Ravichandran and Ashwin, but that wouldn't have been possible uh, if not for the work of Chitesshwa Pajara earlier. On that day and on day four as well, then into day five, I, I went through it and lamentably, he only faced 205 balls at Sydney, okay. not 207. However, he also faced two wides in the innings, which oh. takes him to handily 207 times Pajara uh, readied himself to face up against the Australian bowlers in that fourth inning. So, yes, it's a bit spurious a link, but I think we've had clues a little bit like this from VJ before mm-hmm. where it's required a bit of a bit of a pivot. And, yeah, mm-hmm. 205 legal deliveries plus the two wides that would have been rebowled equals right. 207. What do you reckon?
2: I like it. I like it. I like the creativity because he did... I've always thought that's an anomaly with the wides where a no ball will be counted as a ball faced even though it's not counted as a ball bowled. So you have this this thing where it doesn't stack up, you know, where, where a bowler... They've got a bowl at delivery twice, so, so over 21.4 or whatever happens twice in a row and it's counted in the deliveries faced by the batter but a wide is not counted in the deliveries faced by a batter even though they could have theoretically scored off the wide possi-
1: uh, I No, I think it's fine because if you think about it, a no ball by definition is still a ball mm. you can score off. A wide yeah. by definition is a ball that you shouldn't... I mean, you know, the whole idea of a wide is that it's out of reach of the yeah. batter. So thus, yeah. I think that it's perfectly reasonable for the wides yeah. not to count but the no balls to count. I suppose where that might fall down with no balls is where it's a head high full toss and thus... Yeah. You'd be at risk if you tried to play it. But more often than not, when you're thinking about no balls, you're thinking about the front mm. foot, historically anyway, when this would have been drafted. So yeah, I, I get but the inherent bowl, logic to it.
2: If you bowl one that slips out of the hand that goes two metres over the batter's head on the full, that's a no ball, not a wide. So that's a no ball they can't reach.
1: Yeah, so it, it, well, it depends, doesn't it? So, yeah, there's a bit of grey area here. Mm-hmm. They are, that is a tough one. Basically, it's a no ball when it doesn't hit the cut strip, mm-hmm. not a wide. Yeah. So, so that, that, yep. that, so and it's also that, so, that is a quirky no ball where in this scenario mm. you would be credited with a ball faced if the ball missed the cut mm-hmm. strip if it lands just on the surface and mm. is four feet outside at, the off stump and lands at outside second the slip, tram tracks outside yeah. and it ends up a second slip Steve Harmison style that's a wide not a no ball so yeah, yeah I'm not saying it's 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 without its flaws. But I, I kind of get where it's going, and put it this way, mate. It answers my question for VJ. So it does. I, I like does. how I like how it works.
2: <laughs> I like it. Um, I, I like that in this instance, of course, VJ. If that's not the right answer, you can just send us a DM exactly. on Patreon. You can give us another clue. You can nudge us closer to the truth, and we'll come back to it on a subsequent show. Our next number. Comes up from an old friend of the show, yes, Angad Oberoi, who's uh, who did some fine work with us on White Line Wireless back in the day. He uh, certainly when these did. I, were going on.
1: I have I have great memories of commentating with Angad through the 2016 World T20. He was a, a very dependable. Um, White Line Wireless colleague In your front room there Jeff When you were in India mm-hmm. And I was pretty much camping In your house for three weeks <laughs> Weird as it is to say They're some of the finest memories I have of working in broadcasting
2: It was a pretty entertaining time And uh, Angad's also joined your club Pretty recently He had a baby boy A few months ago So he's uh, He's he's loving that part of life At the moment And uh, listening into the show And has sent in this nerd pledge Which is $5.30 cents, five thirty. Now Angard was one of the organizers behind the Swami army so he's you know mad about Indian cricket but loves Australian cricket as well um, lives lives in Australia and is passionate about all of the cricket that goes on and I think I think you know he's he'd be a few years younger than us so I think he'd be about the right age to have been a kid old enough to have been very impressionable at the time that this happened right so I think with 5:30 I think he's going with the 5 for 30 that Damien Fleming took against India at the Adelaide Oval. Oh, sorry, at Adelaide Oval. I don't want to put that in front of it like an angry email from Andrew Ford
1: <laughs> Rightly
2: so. Rightly so. At Adelaide Oval in 1999. And that, of course, was the innings in which the hat-trick that wasn't took place. The catch that was dropped from the potential third wicket in three balls by Shane Warne at first slip. The drop catch wouldn't have been a huge problem in the match. Um, Australia had set India 396 in the fourth innings and had them five down for 93. So, you know, they were going okay. Going back and re-watching it, he gets Sourav Ganguly's the first one in the hat-trick, a pretty decent first wicket, off the glove with a bouncer. And it just surprised Sourav a bit. I don't think he was expecting the bouncer from Flem. It was a, a, a bit sharper than he thought might come through. And he gloved it down the leg side and Adam Gilchrist took a great catch, like dived away one-handed um, and managed to snare it really high above his head down the leg side. And then Ajit Agakir comes out and gets a nice wide ball and drives it straight to Steve Warwick gully so that's the second to fall and Javagal Srinath, you're a pretty decent chance of a hat trick if Javagal is is facing it you know okay with the bat but didn't do great things with it. And he gets sort of back of a length, tries to force it through the offside, gets a thick edge, it goes fast at head height to Shane Warne who parries it away. It's interesting watching the inevitable Robber Linda footage of this because it's one of the few times in Shane Warne's career that he genuinely looks chastened. Like he looks really... Upset. Normally he brushes things off, but he's down on his haunches and he pulls his hat over his face and sort of holds his head in his hands like he can't believe that this has happened. You know, his he's close friend Damien Fleming uh, in the Victorian team and, and he's dropped the hat trick, what would have been Fleming's second hat trick, a very rare feat in test cricket. And there's also Fleming's response where you can very clearly see him, his mouth moving, you can clearly see him say... Fuck um, on, on the coverage. But what also stood out was by the end of the over, Gilchrist is patting Fleming on the back and Fleming's already laughing. He's already smiling about it. And there's sort of a bit of Damien Fleming's character shone through there that he's, you know, he wasn't going to hang on to that for too long. He knocks off Srinath two overs later, gets Anil Kumblay to follow. He'd already got Laxman for a golden duck earlier in the innings, so he was polling all right that day. And uh, a good haul finishes up with five for 30.
1: We spent sort of like a, a quite a bit of our interview with Flem for the uh, Final Frontier podcast, talking about the ninety nine two thousand series against India, going through that hat trick that wasn't in in some mm-hmm. detail, and everything you said there <laughs> tallies with him from Warren actually feeling kind of quite a lot about it because at the time there was this run of Victorians taking hat tricks. There was Merv, mm. then there was Flem. Then there was Warnie, and then there Warn, was nearly yeah. Flem again, and that kind of broke that run. But yeah, the fact that Warn and Fleming had played together in both the, the test in in Pakistan and the mm. test in in Melbourne. I remember um, Fleming was standing at mid off when Warn was bowling his hat trick delivery. and went up to him, and I, I don't remember what the piece of advice was. It was probably something along the lines of bowl your stock delivery," which is what people always say about hat trick balls. But instead, Warn bowled a top spinner and, and caught the uh, the, uh, the shoulder of the bat, and, and David Boone did mm. the rest. But yeah, th- there is that scene, and Flem it was his golden summer, wasn't it? He talked mm. about his goal at the start of the summer, which he said to the team, was to sing the song six times. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and they did sing the song six times, beating Pakistan 3-0, then doing likewise to India. And this is right in the middle of that. It was probably when Flem came back to the team. He'd missed the last... Well, he played a little bit in the ashes mm. of 98-99, but he was very much at the peak of his fitness here. A shorter run-up... Bowling more quickly, and he was brilliant. Uh, and, yeah, that, I think this is the summer that he looks back on with most fondness.
2: Yeah, and it's also notable because that Agaka dismissal is the first of the Ajit Agaka ducks. Now, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but it's always worth going through again. Because because in the first innings of that test, he batted well. He made 19 of 69 balls, batted for an hour and a half, batted for three times as long as Andy Lloyd's test career, Ajit Agaka, in the first innings of this match. And then he gets out in the hat trick or the non-hat trick, the second wicket to fall golden duck in the second innings, golden duck in Melbourne, golden duck in the second innings in Melbourne. So King pair to follow.
1: That was Mark Waugh's doing, wasn't it? The, the second duck at Melbourne when they brought Mark Waugh to clean up the tail and Agarca had a brain explosion. And that's when, as you say, the momentum really builds, doesn't it? Everybody mm-hmm. in Australia is watching Agarca as he yep. walks out to bat kind of thing.
2: Yeah. So fourth innings in this stretch comes out in Sydney to face up first innings there, Golden Duck. So that's four in a row, four balls, four dismissals. Uh, second innings in Sydney, survives his first ball, cheers, pandemonium, gets out second ball. <laughs> and then there's he plays a couple of matches in india and bangladesh where he makes some runs after this but when australia come back the next time he faces australia in mumbai naught of 12 balls naught of 15 balls so that's seven the seven ducks in a row against australia his next few innings against all comers 6 naught 1 2 109 not out at (laughs) lords so 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 he broke the streak in pretty good form and by this point it was 2002 and the next time he came back to australia in 2003 across the whole series he made 11 naught not out naught one and two
1: what a time fantastic i didn't realize that after the seven ducks he had four more scores in single digits another duck and then made the 109 mm-hmm. not out i didn't yeah. realize it was it was such a breaking down of the damn wall kind of thing but <laughs> yeah i mean as they say you know he has got his name on the honours board at lords and does have the, mm-hmm. the quickest half century or did have the the quickest half century in, India in one day cricket, twenty one baller. So, yep, yes. Well, there it is. A, G- A, G- A, G- A, G- A five for thirty. Angad Oberoi. Let us know whether we've got that right. Next up is six forty one. It's in dollars. It's from James Roder. And you know what I did, Jeff? I went mm-hmm. straight back to Adelaide Oval four years later, and I thought about exactly <laughs> the same cricketer. How's that?
2: I. I was so hoping this would happen. So as I've said before, in the final <laughs> word, we don't, we don't, we don't cook the books, right? We don't. We do the numbers in the order they come in. So if there's a nice convenient pairing, I don't put them together. It's just it's the way they come out of the
1: out of the list. It's the way it's come out of the womb. The final word, womb, is mm-hmm. that we've had 5.30, yep. which is the phlegm which leads into Gurkha, into 6.41, yep. four years later. What a test match. And I just thought it was worth sort of initially pacing through a bit more of this backstory. So mm-hmm. Mumbai test match that you referred to before, where he made those two painful ducks to finish the streak. He's actually mm-hmm. left out of the Indian team for Calcutta and Madras. Mm-hmm. So he's not there for the two... Sort of stunning yeah. wins. So He's part of the two thousand and one triumph, but but peripherally that might be why when yeah. I texted him a number of times last year to appear on final fronts here, he never replied to any of them. Thanks for that, buddy. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think by then, from an Australian perspective, we thought, you know, this guy's a bit of a joker, right? And, and not because of his bowling, yeah. but because of his, his batting. You know, he became a, a punchline, and yeah. I, I, and you feel you think back on it now, you got to feel for the guy because as soon as he yeah. arrives on the scene, because he can bat. Notwithstanding all these ducks He comes in as a guy Who genuinely can bat From first class cricket There are all these comparisons To Kapil Dev He's made that You know That 21 ball 50 You know There are these expectations On his shoulders Which he can never quite meet Mm. Until That famous day In Adelaide In in 2003 2004 So Until that point He'd never taken more than six wickets in a Test match. He'd been going around for four years, and they were the 60s hook at the MCG in that 1999 Test match, four in the first innings, two in the second, I think it was. He took four in the first Test at Brisbane, Uh, so he had a bit of wind in the sails to start the 03-04 series in a rain-affected draw. He arrived at Adelaide basically with the new ball. So he was first change at Brisbane, but for Adelaide he was made sort of the attack leader. And he's in his 18th Test match, but he's averaging 46 And he's up against, you know, that Australian team in a test where they made 550 bloody six in the first innings, Ponting adding 242 of those. I mean, sure, India fight back amazingly well, make five hundred twenty three themselves the, the rahul Dravid two hundred and thirty three that we've talked about length and there with Lakshman mm. again with his one four eight but nevertheless, Australia are ahead in the test match you know we've all seen this one before, haven't we? you know they come out in the yeah. second innings, they make two hundred and fifty or something like that in you know no time at all. they declare with enough time to bowl on out on the final day that's just kind of what Australia did for year mm. after year under the captaincy of Steve
2: Waugh. yeah. Or or at worst, they might have run out of time to beat India, but they were going to
1: comfortably draw the test match. That's it. That's it. Australian teams did not collapse at home. They certainly didn't collapse on a road at Adelaide. But it's this great bit of commentary. I went back and watched the highlights of this, where Shane Warne is saying on television, as the players walk out and Aguirre takes the ball, as I say, average of 46 at this stage. He says something like, what... Gurkha can do Is shape the ball Back really well To left handers And lo and behold That's exactly what He does to Justin Langer And gets him out Leg before wicket For ten And then he goes Wait, Bang who's, Who said that On the commentary oh, Shane Warne Because Warne was, currently, Warne was Out of the team At the time oh, when he was Serving suspended. his drugs ban so yeah, yeah So Warren yes. picked up his drugs ban In early 03 And Channel 9 signed him Almost immediately To work on yeah. those Top end test matches And then And through the summer Of 03-04 <laughs> So then Yeah but he goes Bang bang So Ricky Ponting The captain 242 in the first innings Zero in the second Taken brilliantly mm. In the gully By Akash Chopra who, Who's been an occasional Colleague of ours On radio the last few years He, he didn't play loads Of test cricket But uh, he was influential Here catching uh, Ponting mm. In the gully Then Sachin gets involved And takes a couple of wickets And rips Australia's middle order of, of, uh, of Damian Martin and Steve War, And late in the happy day... Happy birthday. Happy birthday indeed. And just as the sort of shadows <laughs> lengthen at Adelaide Oval, they bring Gurkha back into the attack and he bowls this extraordinary spell. The first of four wickets was Andy Bickle, a leg cutter to die for hitting the leg stump, and a piece of Bill Laurie gold as well. He's like, woohoo! There she goes. It's all happening. You know, Bill just loses his mind uh, when when Bickle's dismissed in this way. Simon Kadic is probably the more important of those wickets. He's caught down at long leg. Uh, and and they're 8 down and then he finishes it off for Gurkha by Jason Gillespie caught behind steering one uh, into the gloves of the wicketkeeper and then Magilla trying to put him on the moon and losing his off stump Uh, all (laughs) told Australia out for 196 late on day 4 Agurka 6 for 41 from 16.2 overs India set a chase of 230 on the final day uh, and they do it 6 wickets down proudly with Rahul Dravid adding an unbeaten 72 and who's there at the end? Dajit Gurkha not out appropriately on zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was the naught not out that I mentioned before from that Australian series where he didn't make a lot of runs in that series. I think he faced two balls in that naught not out and uh, Raul Traver's heart must have been in his mouth for every <laughs> second that he was waiting for a Gurkha to face a delivery. Six down could have become seven down very quickly indeed. Uh, what a time, what a test match and what a beautiful uh, link that Angad at Oberoi's 5.30 has come in just before James Roder's 6 for 41 uh, and they have have been the story of AA, Ajit Gurkha. What a tale it has been. Clayton Lewis is our next cab off the rank. $3.87 is his number. And I've gone for something from memory, Adam. So I'm Mm -hmm. not, it's one of these things where I'm not, I'm 99.9% sure this is right, but I didn't want to try to work it out in case I was wrong. (laughs) I was like, look, I'm just going to trust my recollection here because I think that 38.7 was Michael Klinger's first-class batting average in November 2015. And why is this important? You may ask, why is that significant? Oh, I remember, don't worry. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll bet you you would remember, if anyone. At this point of time, there'd been an exodus from the Australian test team. Chris Rogers, Michael Clarke, Great Game of Cricket, Shane Robert Watson, all chucked it in, in England. There's a lot of talk in that November about who should be picked in, in the test team. And, uh... Uh, Uncle Rod Marsh was uh, part-time chairman of Selectors, full-time chairman of Shiraz, uh, who was running proceedings at the time um, and used to come up with some pretty idiosyncratic answers in press conferences about why he'd pick certain players. Um, When he was asked about Michael Klinger, Uncle Rod said this. He said, of course we've looked at Michael Klinger. He's got to keep making runs. Now, I'll point out that at this stage, in the previous two and a half years, across all formats, Michael Klinger had made 25 centuries, 38 50s, among his 8,302 runs in professional cricket in the space of two and a half years. Uh, He's got to keep making runs, said Uncle Rod. How? Where? Like, he's played all of the matches he's eligible to play in Australia and in England. He would have to be parachuting into park cricket games and just taking them over. (laughs) Um, Uncle Rod's other comment was about Joe Burns and Usman Khawaja, who were also in contention for spots at the top of the order, and Rod said... Have you looked at Michael Klinger's batting average in first-class cricket? It's not as good as the other boys. So two notes that I made at the time in writing about this was that someone's batting average includes all of their innings, which means you're counting the innings that Michael Klinger had when he was 18, as opposed to the ones that he had when he was 35, at which time he was rather a better player. In any cases, the averages in question were Klinger, 38.7, Kowaja 39.6, Burns, 40.4. So everybody was within a run and a half of each other, Mm. but apparently that was supposed to be enough of a breaking point. Now, this was all funny enough to begin with, but the day after Rod Marsh's press conference, there was a shield match against the Vicks in which Michael Klinger made 202 not out in the first innings and 50 not out in the second innings, at which point his first-class average went to 39.9, <laughs> going past Usman Kawaja, who'd had two failures in his first Shield match. So Michael Klinger now had a higher average than Usman Kawaja Did he get picked in the test team because of it? He did not. Kawaja did. He made two tonnes in those first two tests, and so he was probably the right pick. But then he did his hamstring at the wacker in the second test. They needed a replacement. There was a spot in the 11. So who got the call? Sean Marsh, <laughs> of course he did.
1: <laughs> Sean Marsh,
2: three eight seven. Michael Klinger for
1: Clayton Lewis. Very nice. The law firm delivers again. I think that with that, some of the it was amongst the most painful answers that he gave mm-hmm. Marsh towards the end of his tenure. Another being that Jackson Bird wasn't picked. For the Hobart <laughs> test Because he didn't make enough runs At number 11 Compared to I think it was Joe Manny He was being compared well, It yeah, doesn't really Chomini. matter who, who he was being compared to mm. It was the fact that He couldn't sort of See past that And yeah This was the, the classic Kind of I think this was when Just as data Was taking over In terms of Like how Squads were being picked Compared to gut feel um, mm. And And you know the idea that Michael Klinger's innings—he was even younger than that. I'm pretty sure he made his first-class debut yeah. at 16, back in 1998-99. I want to say um, that that mm-hmm. was still being held as a marker. In the summer of fifteen sixteen, was utterly absurd. But such is the the era that it was uh, that they didn't see fit to give him an opportunity. I'm glad that he did get one at T20 level eventually. It would have been a travesty Mm -hmm. if Klinger never played uh, international cricket at all. But uh, you're right; that that was the moment to give him an opportunity. And the fact that I mean, you could and the thing I think we said at the time it wasn't that. Kawaja or Burns were the wrong players to pick it was just that you get a bit of a you know when you go behind, under the hood at the decision making process you see how flawed it is yeah. and that left clinger um, having to sort of shrug his shoulders at that suggestion that well if your first class average isn't higher than the other two guys you're out of the team you the classic case of picking teams based on spreadsheets rather than sort of having any nous about it and yeah. any
2: other input. It was never the reason why the decision was made it was always that there was some post hoc Rationale given to like we're going to pick this player because we want to pick this player, and then we'll make yeah. up something afterwards. Whatever, whatever fits, you know, whatever sounds plausible. Um, and that that was, that has been the issue with Australian selection justifications for a long time.
1: All right, good stuff, Jeff. 387, Clayton Lewis. So good, uh, Jeff, that I have pulled it out of the hat. Uh, We have our winner uh, of the Brick Lane Brewing Community Slab of Beer, which Clayton can give to Mm. whoever he sees fit. The
2: law firm can send it to a client, uh, you know, send it to a client list, uh, or you know, enjoy some some Friday work drinks um, with with the partners, the the the, the, the juniors, uh, whatever. I don't know. Why I haven't did a law firm. I've never been. Just if I've ever talked to a lawyer, I run away from them. Um, yes, Clayton, you can you, you can give someone a slab. You can give yourself a slab. You can give someone else a slab uh, today today i'm 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 reading a page about the brick lane draft because you know it's straightforward straight to the point the draft here's what they have to say they say that the aroma reminds you of everything to love about honest beer light esters shine from our hard-working yeast some clean grainy maltiness and body from the use of all real victorian malt and no sugar yeah, that's and just imagine you or me just pointing to ourselves and saying all Victorian, malt, baby, <laughs> no sugar. Well, this is this is uh, part yeah. of it,
1: isn't it? The, the fact that they do where they can uh, overwhelmingly uh, use uh, Australian materials and uh, work with a lot of Victorian suppliers. Great for jobs locally. They're very environmentally aware in terms of uh-huh. their, their their processes internally. I just think that uh, all of this contributes to why they're such a, a good partner for us, Jeff, and why I love having them part of our little final word, world. If you want to associate yourself with Brick Lane... Uh, Follow them on social media. Uh, maybe uh, if you're down at the bottle shop mm-hmm. buying yourself a beer and you're not as fortunate as Clayton Lewis to have won the slab this week, maybe mm-hmm. pick up yourself a six-pack and, and pour yourself a glass and send a photo to them on social media and, and let them know that we sent you. That would be nice and we can share the love around because there's plenty of that between us and Brickland at the moment. Indeed. And uh, if you want to win a slab, sign up. With a nerd pledge,
2: uh, you can help us make the show and you can get yourself a case that you could send to someone in Australia or
1: keep for yourself. Patron.com slash the final word. All right, our final new number this week is from Steve Dodd. Uh, he sent through 441. That's sent through in pounds. Speaking of Joe Burns, uh, he, he is cap 441 for Australia in Test cricket. Okay. He, he had that cap. Before that summer they didn't he? he? won his cap in yeah. uh, the
2: Melbourne Test of 2014,
1: at batting at six and then... He
2: played two tests at six in yeah. Melbourne and Sydney against India and made a 50, I think, and um, yeah, then, then came up to open in and November. Didn't,
1: yeah, didn't make the Ashes squad, did he? So he played the two tests to win 14-15, right. but they went with a, a slightly more experienced squad to the Caribbean and then to England. And then, of course, he was back in fashion when they uh, got beaten comprehensively. Well, they didn't get beaten comprehensively in England. They, they were too old, but it felt like they were beaten comprehensively. Just due to the savagery of the losses at Edgewiston and, and Nottingham, and, and so they moved back to Burns. Mm. But well, two, um, two, 3 not two or two three was it? Was it three two? Mm. Oh yeah, of course they they um they they were that's right. You're right. Mm. They did lose three three two. They lost a cardoff didn't they? Um, right. So so not Joe Burns. It's it's a score that's never been made in first class cricket. Four forty, surprisingly. Yeah, four forty three was though. It's an in innings that I I didn't really know about by a batsman I'd never really heard of a guy by the name of. Basaheb Nimbalka in 1948 at Pune. But yes, that's not 441, so we'll put a line through him. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we want to stick to an earlier theme though, and again, this is purely coincidental. I, I solved this, well, I looked at this answer before I looked at the Agurka answer for the record. 441 is what Australia made against India at Adelaide in 1999, the Damien Fleming, not hat-trick match. Uh, so that's, uh, at one stage, they were 52 for four uh, when Steve Waugh joined Ricky Ponting and they made uh, 150 and 125 respectively. Uh, then Shane Warne bashed 86. That was the day Warne had the best chance of making a Test 100, by the way. He, that was the best he ever batted, I reckon, in Test cricket, um, really capitalising after the huge stand between Waugh and Ponting. Looking at batting averages, though, uh, I thought that would be the more likely measure. Jeff, forty-four point one—that sort of feels more batting averagey, you know, mm-hmm. batting averagingy <laughs> than it does team score or, or, or individual score. Mm-hmm. And what do you know, forty-four point one bang on the money of one of my favorite players ever and one of my favorite people in the game Charlotte Edwards Queen Lottie Um, she's the only player uh, in men's or women's test cricket to have an average that lands exactly on 44.1 and from a proper sort of sample size as well Jeff she played 23 test matches between 1996 and 2015 before retiring from international cricket a year later in 2016. I I went through it uh, now and look the most amount of test cricket's by anyone who is active is Catherine Brunt with 13. So 10 fewer than Lottie and Mathali Raj 11, Elise Perry 8, Heather Knight 8, Anya Shrub Soul 7. In all probability, there'll never be a woman who'll play 23 test matches ever again, which is an indictment. But such are the times that the women cricketers are living in at the moment with a strong priority for white ball cricket, which I've got no issue with that. But I, I do think they should get the chance to play tests more often for reasons that we've argued for years on this podcast. Mm. Anyway, I digress. So Lottie was captain for a decade after Cle Connor which was something that we talked to Claire about last week taking over in 2006 but yeah she made her debut back in 96 and she was so prolific her, her first of the four test tons that she made was in 1999 against the Australians at Shenley the second was one 1 one in 2004 against New Zealand at Scarborough and that was a bit of a statement that series as, as we went through with Claire to an extent in 2004 they they had the o5 ashes on the horizon and they were you know trying to lay the foundation for for that And this is when Edwards took over really as England's best player. You know, she was the vice captain, but she was the most important player as well. Then the third of her test entries was at Taunton in 2006 against India. And in many respects, she saved the best to last, Jeff, 114 not out against the Australians at Bankstown in 2011, a test match that we've talked about before with Isha Gua on the final word a couple of years ago. Lottie made 114 not out out of all out 207. I did put it in the calculator to check if it was a Bannerman. Mm. Not quite, but it was 56% coming in at number four. Um, The next highest score was Jenny Gunn making 33 at number five. And then Holly Colvin was third highest scorer with 15. Nobody else made it to double figures. But yeah, Lottie batted for 310 deliveries, just seven boundaries. Like she really grinded it out against Perry and Farrell and quite and Staleka and Nitschke. It was a great low-scoring test match there at Bankstown where Australia finally won, chasing 198 in the fourth innings. And it was the last of the one-off test matches to decide the women's ashes. They they moved to the multi-format mm-hmm. point system by 2013. For Lottie's part, uh, she was made a CBE in 2014. She should have been made a Dame when Alistair Cook was made a Knight a couple of years ago. That was a fuck-up. Hopefully they rectify that at some point in the future. Her last test match was in 20. 15 a test that we were both at Jeff at Canterbury uh, where Australia won so it was a losing effort for her, but overall, she she is the best all format player that England has ever produced. And Jeff, the plan, and I flagged this with her a couple of weeks ago when we were working on Sky mm-hmm. Cricket together, is that we will do the big final word treatment with Lot at some point soon when our diaries okay. align. We will do the long form Charlotte Edwards story because it's an absolute belter, fantastic human being, brilliant cricketer. Charlotte Edwards average four four one. Steve Dodd, what do you say?
2: And I can tell you, Adam, I can add to that. Uh, not only the only test player to average forty four point one, but nobody's averaged forty four point one in any format. Really, um, across international cricket. It's no kind of funny because that, that that instincts.
1: Well, that instinct that I had was mm. was wrong in a way. Then wasn't it? I kind of thought batting average, but it, it, it's in that range. In that range, yeah, it's in that,
2: yeah. But you know, just uh, as a curiosity, I noticed while looking up something else. Um, there are no other forty four point ones. That's it. The only one. Uh, I like it. I like it, Charlotte Edwards, um, Steve Dodd. Let us know. Drop us a DM. Well, that is the end of our section of new numbers for this week. You can send us one on Patreon anytime you want to get on the list. Let's take a breather and then we'll get to the revisits. The numbers we may not have got quite right in the weeks before.
0: Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford Brent,
1: and you're listening to the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemmon. Jeff, over the last few months, we've used this spot uh, to talk about uh, some of the ways in which you can support Lord's Taverners and the wonderful work they do in the community for some of the most vulnerable members of the community. been doing that for seven decades now, and they're, they're such a fantastic partner of cricket and sport more broadly. Uh, I thought that given we've piled on quite a lot of new listeners uh, in the last few months, that it might be worth stepping back a little bit and reminding people of the story. And given Nerd Pledge and Storytime is all about numbers, uh, we've been handed uh, quite a useful list of numbers here, which just kind of puts things in perspective, and I thought we'd run through those.
2: Yeah, what Lord's Taverners are all about is using sport particularly as a way to bring people together and to to offer companionship and community to people who particularly need it, um, what they've been telling us over the last year and a half, especially during the pandemic, is that uh, people who live with a disability are much more likely to report feelings of loneliness and isolation. They're less likely to have sufficient community support around them and so the kind of sport programs that the Lord's Tabs are able to put on for people who do live with disability are particularly important as a, a, a way to offer social opportunity um, and, and community opportunity. So... They've had, in 2020, um, over 12,000 participants taking part in their programs across the UK. they delivered well over 3,000 coaching sessions across all of their cricket programs where they have different um, adapted versions of cricket so that people with different kinds of disability can play those different formats of cricket. Eighty-nine percent of the participants said that being part of the Lord's Tabs programs made them feel better about themselves and eighty-nine percent percent of the participants said that they were more active due to the Lord's tabs programs.
1: All right, my turn for some numbers, Jeff. 81, 81 percent of participants said that being part of Lord's Tavs programs made them feel more optimistic about the future. 95, 95 percent of participants said that being part of the programs made them feel more included. And 90 percent uh, said they were able to make new friends because of the programs that Lord's Taverns have been putting on.
2: So that's the kind of uh, effect that Lord's Tavern has been able to have. If you would like to help them continue to do the work that they do you can head to org. check out the programs that they put on see how you might like to contribute whether that's by donation or by getting involved uh, there are plenty of good things that they do events they put on and outdoor activities that uh, that people are able to get involved with as a way of trying to raise funds uh, or being part of things
1: yeah they actually had a lunch this week at the oval which daniel norcross went along uh, to i think it was a surrey lord's tabs function but yeah that, that's quite exciting too that we've Reached the stage of the pandemic where we can start having big Lord's Tavs functions again. So uh, that might be up your alley or maybe something like what Declan Lawler did, an outside challenge. There's a number of ways to do it. If you just want to make a monthly contribution, that's easy as well. It's all there on the website at lordstaverners.org. I'm Glenn
2: Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. This is the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The part of the show where we look at previous numbers, the revisits, the confirmations. First up is Rory Dennis, who was on the show recently with nine dollars even nine zero zero.
1: Yeah, so yeah, you're right. It was not long ago where we said instead of nine zero zero, we went to number nine. <laughs> so cap nine. Tom Kendall, yeah. which was quite fun. Rory said in reply, "Unfortunately, you two went for the wrong player. Uh, correct match." but wrong player. Love your work as always. Mm. Okay, so Rory, this
2: means it was from the first Test match from in 1877, the match that was yes. posthumously declared to be the first match of Test cricket in that 11 players from England took on 11 players from Australia. So I was looking for nines related to that match. Tom Armitage and Tom Emmett each made a score of nine for England in that match. Dave Gregory, who is captaining Australia, and Tom Garrett each conceded nine runs in the fourth innings. And John Hodges bowled nine overs in the first innings, one for 27. But I don't think it's any of those. I think where it ended up was with Bransby Cooper. Bransby Cooper made 3 and 15 in the match, meaning he made 18 in the test match and averaged. Nine in test cricket, 9.00, because he was out both times. He and Ned Gregory were the two across both teams who played that first test match and never played another test. They were one-test wonders in the very first test match of all. They both played for Australia. All of the England players played at least two. Bransby Beauchamp Cooper. Beauchamp, what a name. It means beautiful champ in Australian, (laughs) um, which is which is a nice thing to be able to call somebody. Bransby, you'll never guess, was a posh lad, uh, Adam. You'll be surprised about that. was an Englishman originally. His father was with the East India Company. He played county cricket for Kent and Middlesex. And then he moved to Australia in 1869. So by 1877, he was ready to play test cricket for Australia. He was the quintessential amateur gentleman of his day, you know, gave the ball a whack, did a bit of wicket-keeping, played 50 first-class matches and made one century and averaged 20.5 uh, and still called himself a batsman. Uh, I suppose that was probably a decent average at the time, 20.5. Became fairly prominent in Victorian state cricket when he got to Melbourne, so he made that test team. And as it happens, day one of the first test match was his birthday. On oh, His
1: birthday! birthday.
2: Um, So he becomes the answer to trivia questions as well because he was born in India, so he is technically the first Indian-born test cricketer, Uh, Bransby Cooper, in test match number one.
1: Very good. Nice to get a lovely additional part to the answer from last week. So thank you, Rory, Mm -hmm. for that opportunity. Uh, Second up, Glenfin Keld came back to us on 302. Where we started was Wilfred Rhodes' batting average, 30.2, but not quite.
2: Yeah, or 30.19 maybe it was, thereabouts. Glenn
1: said, I didn't
2: give this pledge too much thought. I instead went with possibly the first game I can remember attending. Let's just say that the stars of this match were a bloke who may or may not have started off as a leg spinner and another guy who added his own chapter to the Arthurian legend.
1: (laughs) I think he's hinting at, at, at SPD Smith here not quite the same Steve Smith. Uh, so S- SB Smith maybe S- yeah, Stephen Barry Smith. Yeah, so where- the other Steve Smith. Well, mm-hmm. I know I know Glenn's age roughly. He's you know 40 something owing to the fact that I remember him playing in the North Danian on ones as a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. and obviously he's a nut, cricket nut. So he would have been going to the cricket ground, you know, when he's pretty young, very very young. Mm-hmm. So 83, first game of cricket for him. That feels about right and that's where we're going to take it to the Benson and Hedges Cup at the MCG in 1983 where Australia made, wait for it, 302. Huge score in 1983, huge score. David Hooks made 40, Graham Wood made 91 but the star of the show was Stephen Barry Smith who made 117 Mm. from 130 balls. And if you thought that was fast, New Zealand got bowled out for 153 but there was a dramatic flourish at the end coming at number eight. A man hit six sixes and finished with 52 runs from 25 balls. And he was out, caught by Steve Smith, and that was Lance Cairns. King Arthur, you know, see what I'm saying here? The uh-huh. Arthurian legend uh-huh. at the end, King Arthur, Lance. So, uh, yes, I mean, obviously, the sad postscript to this is that since we've recorded this clue the first time around, uh, that Lance Cairns' son, Chris Cairns, is in critical condition currently in the ICU in Canberra Hospital after a catastrophic heart attack. So all our well wishes from the cricket community more generally to Chris Cairns, who was uh, such an influential player as we were both growing up, Jeff, Destructive in in that same kind of way, um, the way that
2: Lance Cairns set the template for, and they were both um, pretty useful at whacking them over the fence. Mm. So all of our best wishes um, to everybody involved there. So that will be the 302. Glenn Finkeld's $3.02 will be the 302 that Australia made with Steve Smith, with Lance Cairns, the Arthurian legend. It all comes together. Thanks, Glenn. He promises that his next number is going to be way more complex. Uh, (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) thanks for warning us. Uh, We've got a revisit too from Darcy Matthews who had – the one eighty that we
1: were looking at, the $1.80 that we thought was an innings of one hundred and eighty at some point. Yes, I actually can't remember who the innings was that we looked at initially, but what I do know what is a we few. have. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we went through a number of them, didn't we? So the the first clue that Darcy sent through was that it involved supremely clean batting, and it was a player that Darcy thought might be a touch unlucky. That's right, we went through a couple of unlucky cricketers. Mm. He goes on to say, in retrospect, that was a stupid clue, as the player in question later got incredibly lucky in the greatest game of all.
2: Hmm. Well, the greatest game of all So this means one of two things One, uh, Darcy's cricketer actually played rugby league The greatest game of all Um, (laughs) Or or two, Darcy's cricketer played in the 2019 World Cup final Which uh, I'm pretty confident in guessing That that that's the game that you'd be referring to Now, curious little fact here This was something I was looking at last time I looked at the 180 In terms of one day international cricket Only two players have ever made scores of 180 individually Both of them played in that game, Martin Guptill and Jason Roy. Both made 180 at different times in one-day cricket. Yep. Jason Roy is the only one who got lucky in that match, so uh, we're going to be leading towards him. He made that 180 at the MCG in that quite – uh, notable series in January 2018 when England came over and their one day team arrived, you know, after the Ashes and absolutely smashed up Australia, beat them 4 1. And it started in that first game when Australia were, had set 300 plus and Jason Roy made 180 and chased it down in an absolute stroll. So he's the one who got a bit lucky during the 2019 World Cup final. Martin Guptill didn't. He got his 180 against South Africa in Hamilton and hit 11 sixes, but he is the pin-up for unluckiness in the 2019 World Cup final. He's the player who burns New Zealand's review when he tries to get his LBW overturned and, and it doesn't work and later Ross Taylor gets given out when he shouldn't have been out and can't overturn it. Guptill's the one who parries that Ben Stokes sweep shot into the boundary rope when he's diving trying to save it oh, late yes, in the game. Yes. Guptal's the one who's standing right next to Trent Bolt, watching him about to step backwards onto the rope and knowing that it's about to happen and not being able to do anything to stop it. And Guptal's the one who throws in the ball at the stumps that deflects off Stokes' bat and goes for the four overthrows that turns two into six. Guptal's the one who's on strike for the final ball of the super over where he only needs two runs to win it and he can only get one. And Archer bowls it right at his heel, and I haven't seen anyone really pick up on this. But basically, if Guptal hadn't shuffled a little bit to the leg side, that would have been a wide. It's on the heel of his boot because he steps marginally to the left, to the leg side as it's coming down. If he stood where he was, that would have been a wide. Whilst
1: that's true, I think that Archer, not so much that he saw him coming, but he was able to premeditate that Archer that that Gupta was going. It would have taken Guptal to have. Taken a pretty bold ploy to have jumped the other way because the leg side there mm. was three on the leg side two on the offside, so it would have required, yeah. you know, it, it, it would have been a very bold move had Gupta went offside for that delivery. Uh, it would have probably played uh, in favour of uh, Archer. I'm just saying that when you're talking
2: about being a bit unlucky you know he's a he's a centimetre off being boulder wide then and then he'd only need one to win and who knows maybe Archer would have got him out and it would have been an even more crazy dramatic end and England still would have won on the count pack but who knows so if someone was not lucky in the 2019 World Cup final it was Martin Guptill that's that's where I'm going with this. Thus, Jason Roy's 180 is Darcy Matthews' 180.
1: Very good. And of course, if not for Guptal's direct throw running out Donny, they probably wouldn't have been in the World mm. Cup final to begin with. So, yeah, I do feel a bit sorry True for Guptal on a number of levels. One of the good guys in cricket. Thank you, Darcy Matthews, for letting us follow that up. Thank you as well to Evan Granger. Now, Evan Granger sent through 401, which gave us a second swing at Ginger Lee. It was his first class wicket tally. And the, <laughs> the other clue was it was about bad timing. Uh, and we looked at his bad timing only being able to play uh, a limited amount of test Mm -hmm. cricket. Evan added that my pledge doesn't even qualify as a DOB as this player did their best work in the 1980s. Also, as an Aussie, I'd argue that if you expanded the DOB scope, my man would very much qualify. In other words, perhaps a less dustier and older DOB. Right, so look, I I ended up, thinking that based on the qualifications we've had in the past, that a sort of modern DOB, you would qualify mm-hmm. with two test matches in four one-days, wouldn't you? Like, that's not too much yeah. international cricket, especially... That's given, dusty. Yeah, that's dusty. Yeah. But, you know, acknowledging that it's going to be a player in the 80s, so it's not going to be dusty mm-hmm. as we would like. But, you know, if, if that's what you were doing. And also, we obviously, it's going to involve a decimal place due to the rounding up, rounding down. And right. he's told us not to round up, which... Okay. To me, if you've got a number that's what, above 0.5, you would naturally round up. Uh-huh. So I therefore think that it's a number probably above the 0.5, but asking us to round down anyway, something like that. Anyway, above,
2: or above above the point 0.5, maybe. Yeah, yeah,
1: um, that, yeah 0.05. You, that's right, not 0.5. So, yeah. on that basis. How's this sound?
2: Don't get confused with those with breathalysers. That's a bad time. If you think you can have (laughs) 0.5 instead of 0.05, you're in for a rude shock. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay, let's try this on for size. First-class batting average of 40.17. So, yes, sure, that's a first-class batting average of 40.2, as we know, by convention. Mm -hmm. But you could also, if you didn't round up and you round it down, make it 40.1, is Roger Woolley. Roger Woolley, a great Tasmanian, middle-order batsman, sometimes wicketkeeper, uh, made his debut uh, in the first Shield season, in, in their first Shield season, rather, in 1977-78, in uh, made their first Shield ton later that season, made 99 not out the year after that when Tasmania won a match in the Sheffield Shield for the first time, and he was in the team for their first piece of silverware, the Gillette Cup, uh, in that season, 1978-79. He was the first... Tasmanian picked for Australia who'd actually played for Tassie so I guess you know Max Walker and others but um, but in, mm-hmm. in terms of those who had played for Tassie that was Roger Woolley he played the, the one-off test against Sri Lanka in Candy where Dean Jones made 100 and another when he was the understudy in the tour of the West Indies in 1984 which we often refer to affectionately as the Jim Maxwell tour um, he captained yeah. Tasmania in first class cricket uh, 28 times he retired in, in 1988 and still lives down there on the Apple Isle Roger Woolley i I reckon that's probably where Evan Granger was for 401 and if mm-hmm. we're wrong and we've misunderstood that, that's fine. Just, just give us a, a pretty strong steer and we'll, and we'll try and finish it off next week.
2: No, I think that works because he's saying don't round up as in don't round, just take the first three digits. 401, therefore it's 40.1 and don't worry about the second digit. So Roger Woolley makes sense dusty enough uh you know modern dob if you will and moved to tasmania like uh, tom kendall who we spoke about last week who played in the first test match took seven for in the the fourth innings and then said bugger it i'm going to chuck it in and be a typesetter for the mercury and hobart so some good work done by tassie our final revisit eight dollars and 80 cents from michael edelstein i was looking at Sir Garfield Sobers uh, 8 for 80 in the match in a test in 1965. Michael said, all I'll say is there's a link to this number from my last pledge. In addition, they are a current player who will be next playing tomorrow. And then a few hours later, he emailed back and said, sorry, this player is playing today, not tomorrow, but there's a good reason I was confused. Okay, so this took some detective work. The day of these clues was August the 1st. Where were you on the night of August the 1st? The only matches that were on on that day in England were 100 matches. Michael's last pledge involved a spinner called Pat Pocock, who was Welsh and who played for Surrey, but neither the Welsh Fire nor the Oval Invincibles were playing in the 100 on the 1st of August. So it could not be a player playing for any of those teams. August the 1st, there was someone playing... Named C Jordan Not Jordan C C Jordan is Chris Jordan Who currently plays in the 100 with the Southern Brave But has also been a player for Surrey Thus Mm -hmm. the Surrey team wasn't playing But a player who has been a Surrey player Ah. And may still be a Surrey player I always find it hard to keep track of who moves around where (laughs) uh, Was playing on the 1st of August And is the only Surrey related player that I can find Who was playing in the 100 on the 1st of August How do you link Chris Jordan to 880, which was Michael's number? He was born in 1988, so there's an 88 link there. But aside from that, when batting in one-day international cricket, which he doesn't get much opportunity to do these days, he has a batting strike rate of 88.0, which is the number that Michael Edelstein sent through.
1: (laughs) I I don't remember what Michael's first clear was, but it takes quite a few leaps to get to Chris Jordan's one-day Batting strike Mm -hmm. rates So I'm glad there was A a bit of a steer there Because we could have Been guessing for a Very very long time In the absence (laughs) of that clue But I suppose that's What it's all about Uh, Thank you Michael For being part of the fun That's the end Of our revisits Jeff Uh, We've done well there Getting Mm -hmm. through quite a few As Jeff said off the top If you want to be part Of what we're doing Patreon.com forward slash The final word Before we take our leave Today we have a couple Of confirmations of Clues that we got right On previous episodes And the first of those Is from Steve Stevens And his 188 Which took Jeff going through about 12 numbers, multiplying, dividing, adding, subtracting, all to get to Shane Watson. Steve says here, I loved hearing you untangle my nerd pledge and I appreciate the effort that went into it. I doubly loved hearing that a spreadsheet was used as I used a spreadsheet to create it. Apologies for potentially setting a precedent for elongated clues, but I wanted to create something as complicated as I felt Shane was, both as a person and as a cricketer. Well, <laughs> I, I really do enjoy the sentiment of that, Steve. Also, um, yes, we're not encouraging people to through clues like that on the reg, otherwise uh, we wouldn't have time to do anything else in our lives other than solve pledges. However, that was a, a nice little fun one-off, and, and Jeff it did it justice, I think. <laughs>
2: well, I, I'm prepared to go through that sort of effort to get to Shane Watson, Steve. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no <laughs> belly low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you, S R W. Uh, we also got Danish Babar's number right, the 130 that ended up being the score that Ireland made during their first test in Malahide. Uh, Danish says, yes, the 130 was that first Irish men's test innings. I made the journey to Malahide to watch the match. And what a fantastic decision that was. Hopefully, it won't be long before we can return to the Emerald Isle for another test match. Adam will be on the bus with you first aboard if that takes place, Dinesh.
1: Too right. The next time that Ireland play a test match at home, uh, I will do everything in my power to be there for all five days. Indeed, a couple of days before as well to get the full sort of build-up mm. and, and all the rest. Hopefully hopefully that's possible. And a couple of
2: days after to recover. Maybe
1: a couple of days yeah. after to recover. That's exactly right. No, I look, I, I think that's possible next summer. I think that there's certainly mm. momentum for Ireland to play a test match at home again next summer when everything calms down a little bit. So. Maybe we can make a final word trip of it, and we'll get some people to come along and Please. do a show out there, right. and it'd be, it'd be a bit of fun, I reckon.
2: If we could, yeah, we can we can get the Commonwealth Games in in Birmingham, maybe a, a cheeky one day series in. The Netherlands, you know, between Amsterdam and Rotterdam, <laughs> and then pop over to Ireland for a test match. Here we, we go! Now we're talking.
1: We, we're gonna, we're gonna have ourselves a good couple of weeks. Hell yeah! Looking forward to it. That's it, isn't it, Jeff? That's the show for
2: today. That's it. We uh, we have done our dash on story time. Thanks once again, everybody, for listening in and the huge community effort that it is to actually make this show there wouldn't be a show without people thinking about it thinking about great stories sending us numbers sending us clues answering our correspondence helping steer us in the right direction um and above all putting the fuel in the car that helps us make this show and and put the time into it that we need to put into it it's so much fun we love doing it Uh, we love chatting with people about it on the discord and all the rest so yeah if you haven't been involved come on down, get involved. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks to Dave Collins who edits this show. It's on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. Uh, Thanks to Brick Lane for sponsoring The Final Word as well as the Lord's Taverners. Uh, You can find information about both of them in the show notes uh, as well as anything else you need to know. We will be back midweek. Uh, Wednesday next week with the Final Word weekly show and in between now and then we'll have the daily shows from the India-England test match uh, and hoping the rain stays away Jeff Lennon and Adam
1: Cullen we'll see you next time, have a nice weekend
0: I had to go.